May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. The story is told of this, um, this good old boy down south somewhere, Alabama or Mississippi maybe. He's out fishing in his boat in the middle of the lake and um, he's, he's casting out his line, fishing for a while. Realizes that he's out of out of earthworms he'd brought for bait. Looks down, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? There's no, no more bait left. And sitting there contemplating what he's going to do. And he looks over and in the water, swimming up beside him, a water moccasin with a frog in its mouth. And frogs are great for bait. So the fellow reaches down in the water, yanks out that snake and pulls him up and says, well, you know, here he got him by the, by the neck so he can't do anything. And pulls the frog out of his mouth and throws it in the, in the bait bucket. But now he has a problem. He's got a live water moccasin in his hand with nothing in his mouth. And so he doesn't know how, you know, how am I going to get rid of this thing? So, being in the south, he reaches in, pulls out his hip flask, and pours a little bourbon down into this uh, water moccasin's mouth. And the moderate water, his eyes kind of go goo in his head, and his body falls limp. And, and real happy, this fellow throws him out into the water and goes right about his job fishing. About an hour later, he's sitting there in his boat, and he feels a little tug at his leg. Looks down, don't you notice that same water moccasin, this time with two frogs in its mouth? <laughs> My friend Rich Miller sent me that story this week. I thought, what a, what a, great, what a great story. Uh, you know, snakes are they're mean, they're venomous, um, they're, they're smart, but um, you know, they're not stupid. <laughs> so, so this, you know, Jesus even uses a metaphor. He says, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. But apart from that, I thought to myself, I can't remember one person ever using a snake as a metaphor that was positive. A lot of good animal metaphors out there, right? Oh, that fella, he's just a big old teddy bear, you know. That's a, that's a very positive, affirming, you know, metaphor. Uh, you know, oh man, the guy's sly as a fox, you know. Uh, she is a fox, which is completely different meaning, but both positive, right? Um Gee, what a stud. You know, it's something that we've had to fight off in my family a lot, you know. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Um, there are very positive animal metaphors. Snakes are never one of them. Snakes are always negative. Oh, you know, you snake in the grass, you know. Nobody ever says, oh, she's such a delightful snake in the grass. You know, they don't say stuff about people like that, do they? I mean, that's not a positive metaphor. If somebody refers to you with a sort of viper, venomous uh, metaphor, it's not positive, and you should know that. I mean, you probably have never heard that. But if you did, know that it's not on the positive side. People are coming to John the Baptist in the Gospel lesson this morning. They're coming out of the city, coming to John the Baptist, coming to be baptized. And what does he say to them? Oh, it's so delightful to see you at church this morning. It's so delightful to see you coming for baptism. That's not what he says, by the way. Have you read the text? You brood of vipers. I mean, no, John. You're talking about those people back in town who didn't come out here this morning. You're, You're apparently not talking about us. We've come out for this religious moving experience. We've come out because we want to be a good religious people. The people who are coming out here are not broods of vipers. They're not children of snakes. You know, We're good people. You should use positive animal metaphors with us. They're religious people doing a religious thing out of religious sensibilities. 
And John calls them a brood of vipers. Well, why is he baptizing people? First of all, what is John doing out here in the, in the, the wilderness, outside the city? Why is he baptizing people? Well, first of all, you should know that he's baptizing God's people. These are the people of Israel. He's not calling for people who are outside of the community of Israel to come, although some do show up. He's calling for God's people to come out. He's calling for them to, uh, to have a change in the way they think. The word for baptism in the, in the Greek of the New Testament is metanaeo, to think again, to, to have a change of thought. He's asking them to prepare for God's coming. You heard the Old Testament lesson and the, uh, and the canticle about getting ready for God to show up. This is what John the Baptist is doing. Be, get ready, be prepared for God to come. And come be baptized. But being baptized is not the way to prepare. It's not the way even to demonstrate true repentance. Look at the text with me. Will you take the bulletin and look with me at, verse, at the beginning of this lesson? In, the, in the, the gospel lesson, he, that is John, says to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you bird of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Look at this, verse 8. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. I know your version might be a little bit different than mine, but bear fruits in keeping with repentance. This is, this is a, a, um, a horticultural metaphor. This is from, this is from the, the, um, the orchards, right? A tree that bears fruit. Uh, you know, when you have a tree that bears fruit, you know what sort of tree it is for sure. If there's a tree with lemons all over it, don't think it's an apple tree because it's probably not, right? It is a lemon tree. And John is saying to the people who come out, I want to see fruit. I want to see evidence in, that is in keeping with repentance. You say you're repenting because you're showing up for baptism? Not good enough. Bear fruit. What, what kind of fruit? What are you looking for, John? Well, first of all, I think John would say, I want you to replace ritual with righteousness. I want you to replace ritual with righteousness. Now listen to me. Ritual is good. I think ritual is wonderful. I, I embrace our great heritage, this, this Anglo-Catholic heritage that, that spans 2,000 years and even beyond that into the history of the people of Israel. I love our liturgy. I do. But liturgy has to be the, the outward flow. It has to be what comes from within, not from without. If we, use, if we use our ritual as a, as a way of demonstrating our righteousness, then we defeat it. Uh, take, for instance, the sign of the cross. A beautiful and wonderful thing. I love teaching catechism, teaching children how to do the sign of the cross, and, and teaching them what it means. Look, when you're doing this, you're making your body a temple. You're saying to yourself and to the world, look, this is God's habitation, a place where God can come and dwell. And so I tell them, you know, when we do it at the beginning of the worship service, you're saying, not just this room, but me. Make me the place of God's dwelling. When we come to the altar, make me a place where God can enter into my body. But if it becomes just some mechanism, some outward sign, this is the way I do religion, then it completely defeats its purpose. I mean, you can do this with anything, can't you? Going to church, what we say... I've heard people who use the words Amen and Hallelujah and they use them about everything. And I'm saying, no, those words are sacred, precious words. Don't let that ritual just slip into to, to meaninglessness. Religion can become corrosive. 
if we allow it to be simply an outward form without inward reality. Religion can be corrosive to our souls if it's an outward form without inward reality because being righteous means more than simply being religious. Look look what he means. Verse 10. Look down back at your text again. Uh, The crowd say to him, Okay, so what do you want us to do? <laughs> what are we supposed to do? How, how, how many actions? I mean, what sort of religious, churchy things do we have to do? Verse 11, he answered them, Whoever has two tunics or coats, share with him who has none. And whoever has food, do likewise. Okay, you want to know what's a good and righteous and, and holy thing to do? Share what you have with people who don't have it. <laughs> there's a, that's a lightning rod right there, isn't it? You mean you don't mean go to church? You don't mean like, um, you know, sing songs? You, you don't mean pray prayer? No. Share your stuff with people who don't have it. Meet basic needs. Did you catch them? Warmth, food. And you say to me, and surely you probably might think, oh, but you should see some people out there that just really like to work the system. I know! I'm not talking about enabling people who have bad behavior. No, shouldn't do that. But help people who are in genuine need? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a big difference, isn't there? And righteousness is simply this, I think, for John. Righteousness is living as God's representative in the world. If somebody met me or they met you in the street, what they say of us? You know what? I think this person reminds me of what God might be like. Not completely. I mean, they're flawed. They're, they're, you know, that Boisel, he's deeply flawed. I know that, okay? But is there something about me? Is there something about you that when people see us, they say, this person is God's representative in the world. This is what it's like to live righteously. What are the signs of true repentance? You replace ritual with, with righteousness. And I think you also, you do this by... Um, replacing heredity with relationship. I, I tried to get an R in there, but I couldn't find an R for, for heredity. You know, we replace, we replace our ancestry, our lineage, with a relationship. And I love the fact that families have a godly heritage. I love that there are generations of families that worship together. You know, I mean, I love it when I come to church and I see, you know, the generations sitting together. That just thrills me. I love it that my children come to church. They all tell me that, um, that they have a drug problem. My children have said they had a drug problem for a long time. They get drugged to church every time I go there, you know. You just probably know the same, you know. They, they, but I hope that it catches. I hope that it's not just about coming here, but that it, it transforms their lives. I want them to grow up and know nothing but always knowing, loving the Lord, always believing, that they can't remember a time when they didn't believe. I think that's great. But you know the danger, don't you? The danger is, well, I'm a cradle Anglican, you know? I'm a cradle Catholic, Episcopalian, whatever. I, I can always, you know, th- my, my heritage is that I, I've always come to church, I've always belonged to the church. But that doesn't matter as much as, have you always had a relationship with the Lord? Have you always had this personal accountability, this this one-to-one relationship? Do you have a conversation with God? Do you say, you know, look, Lord, how am I doing? You know, and not just um, not just on the outward side, but how inwardly? How would you know that? 
I think because you ask tough questions. People with an active relationship with God, they sort of live on the edge. (laughs) Because you never know. If God is really king, you never know what he might ask you to do. (laughs) You know, I I used to tell my students, they would say, but, you know, if I do that, um, that might mean that the Lord would call me to be a missionary to Africa or Haiti or some, you know, awful third world country. What then? I said, yes. He might call you to go to Pittsburgh, too. How awful would that be, you know? There, there are worse things in the world. I'm sorry, all you Steeler fans. But, uh, a little dab right there. It's your fault for living in Cleveland. Um, yeah, there's a... What might God call you to do? He might call you to do all sorts of things. Things you have no expectation about. Having a real relationship with God as your, as your Savior, as your as your father, as your king, is dangerous. You don't get that from heredity. You get it from a personal relationship. And I think also another sign of true repentance is that intentions are replaced by actions. It matters what we do. It matters what we do. It matters how we live. Did you hear the the language that, that John used? Those who have two must share with those who have none. And those who have food must share with those who have none. And those who are collecting taxes must do it only to what they're supposed to collect. And those who are in the police, the Roman authorities at that time, are not to extort money or take bribes. It matters how we live. It matters what we do. How we live demonstrates what we believe. My friend was was an army ranger. And he used to say in the army that, that these guys had this saying that your actions are speaking so loud, I can't hear a word you're saying. Well, that's true, isn't it? What we believe comes out in our actions. Your actions are, are what you believe. And so love is a choice. If we are going to love the world, we have to realize it's a choice. It's about what we do. We have to make decisions. I mean, it's true in every loving relationship. In every marriage, there are decisions to forego to bite your tongue, to not say. In, in parental relationships, in loving nieces and nephews and grandchildren, and at work, if you love the people you work with, it means forbearance, gentleness, and kindness. And so in the world, if we are going to make a difference in the world, if we are going to love the world, it's not because it just passively happens, but because we actively take a stand and do something. Our actions both tell what we believe, but get this, they also make us into what we want to be. It's not just that they tell us what we believe, but by doing stuff, we actually change the sort of persons that we are. We become qualitatively better human beings by doing hard things, by making tough choices. I'm a horrible golfer. I just picked it back up this year after like putting it off for you know almost the better part of a decade. But I decided to get back out and try it again. And so I get back out. And I, I do it a little bit, and um, and I and I go out with Frank quite a bit. I, he usually beats me every now and then. He'll take one for the team and just let me win and make me feel good. But um, but I, I know that when I you know when I, when I've taken some lessons on how to golf, you know, from people who are really good about it, they'll tell me how to hold the club, and it feels so awkward. You ever you ever do that? Any of you who ever golf or? Maybe fish or whatever you might do. So, I don't know, whatever you do. Um, where you hold on to something and, and it feels like it's all wrong. But after a while, after a while doing it, it suddenly starts to feel right. It, 
it actually feels normal after a while. And then you go to try to do something else or do it the wrong way and it feels... I think the same is true of the way we live. If we are going to live a love life in the world, if we're going to, if we're going to live a life that is reflective of God's love in the world, it's going to feel awkward at times. Of course it is. But after a while, it will actually change the sort of people that we are. Um... I think perhaps by now you've heard this question. So are you ready for Christmas? You've heard this? Yeah, maybe? By the way, if you're talking about buying gifts, that means yesterday when I sat down on my computer and bought everything that I had to buy. Um, but for, for some of you, it, it is, um, are you ready? Uh, yeah, yeah. Got to get this person still. I, I still, you know, I got to find this, you know, this gift. Or... That's not being ready for Christmas at all, is it? See, Christmas is about the coming of God, that God comes in human flesh and and lives among us. It's about God taking upon flesh and becoming human so that we might become the likeness of God in the world. Being ready is what John the Baptist is trying to tell us to do. About living a life that is transformed. You know, um, a few years ago, uh, I was coming out of the VA hospital and... um, and I, I blew through this stop sign. It was late at night. I was really tired seeing somebody. And it was probably 10 or 11 o'clock at night. Dark. I didn't see it. You know, I just right through it. You know, I barely into third gear. And, um, and I, I see these lights behind me, this police officer. So I'm thinking, oh, I better pull over. Somebody's probably in trouble up the road. But he pulled over right behind me, you know. You've had that feeling? Oh, goodness. Um, and so he comes up and, uh, and he, you know, I rolled down the window and I said, did I do something wrong? You know, couldn't have been speeding because I don't speed. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, just on occasion. Um, and he says, uh, no, you weren't speeding, um, but you blew through that stop sign back there. I'm like, stop sign? I didn't see a stop sign. Where was the stop sign? He said, yeah, there was one on both sides of the road. <laughs> I didn't see either one of them, you know. And so he tells me about it and, um, and I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry and, Okay, well, you're a clergyman, you know, I'll give you a warning and send you on your way. And and it was really nice of him. In life, there are going to be times when you don't do it right. You're going to blow through something. You're going to do it wrong. You're going to mess up. It probably happened this week. (laughs) And it's probably going to happen next week. When John says, bring forth fruits that are, that are worthy of repentance, he doesn't mean you're going to do everything perfectly. But he means that the direction of your life is transformed. That it is given over to God. That your life, the whole of your actions and your being, are transformed. That's what he means. Not that you won't mess up, you will. But it is a religion of the heart that matters, not some outward conformity. That's what it means, I think to be ready for Christmas. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.